0: In the Hamdalilla, Nahmedu, who are Nestain, who are Nestaufero, when I would be lahim in Shururi and Fusina, Waminsia Ati Amalina, Manya Hadihila, who Fala villa, Wamanyo the Lilfala Hadiella, Wash Haduella, Ilaha illa, who wached the Hula Shari Kella, Wash Haduana Mohammed and Abedu or Rasulu. Amma So continuing with Baloo al Maram now, we finish the section regarding the conditions of the prayer. And oh, we are now going to start the chapter regarding the sutra in the prayer. Bab Til Musalli, the chapter regarding the sutra of the person praying. The first hadith that Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala mentions, Abi Juheim Ibn Al-Harith radiyallahu anhu qala qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam law ya'lamu al-maru ma law ya'lamu al-maru bayna yaday المصلي ماذا عليه من الإثم لكان أن يقف أربعين خيرا له من أن يمر بين يدي متفق عليه واللفظ للبخاري ووقع في البزار من وجه آخر أربعين خريفا This first hadith then, it speaks about this issue of the sutra uh, that the person who is praying and the relationship or what is required of an individual who's praying with regards to the sutra. The sutra is something that a person places in front of himself in order to prevent other people from walking right in front of him during the prayer. A person places some item or object, which we're going to come to the details of, in front of him whilst he is praying in order to prevent people from walking or cutting him Right across from where he is praying. There are two benefits to this. Having this sutra in front of you, some object, a chair, a table, something else, whatever it may be that will come to, there are two benefits of having this whilst praying. Firstly, Annaha Tanfa'ul Musalli. Firstly, the person who is praying himself, it benefits him. It benefits the person praying himself. حَيْثُ إِنَّهَا تَدْرَأُ الْمُرُورِ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ فَلَا يَنْشَغِلُ فِكْرُهُ عَنِ Because when you have a sutra in front of you, then it prevents people from walking past you and right in front of you, so it doesn't take your mind away. It doesn't busy you with other affairs, with a person coming here and a person coming there right in front of you. Your mind is focused on the prayer and it doesn't get distracted or disturbed by other people if you have a sutra there. If they are walking beyond the sutra, that's beyond. But at least they are not walking right in front of you or next to you. So your mind isn't uh, distracted by these people passing and walking right past you. So that's one benefit to having the sutra, that the person praying is able to concentrate, because nobody is cutting him up. The second benefit is with regards to the one who is not praying. General people, it benefits them that the one who is praying has a sutra. Because as this hadith mentions, uh, the meaning of which we'll come to now, that an individual who passes by another person praying, passes in front of him and cuts him up from where he would be praying and his prostration would be, then that person who cuts across another person praying is sinning. That's a sin. So if you put the sutra there, and then the people they walk beyond that sutra, you're you're preventing people from falling into sin. So it benefits the other people too, that you have a sutra when you pray. Because you're preventing other people from falling into sin. They will then walk beyond your sutra, and therefore they are not cutting you up, and therefore they are not falling into sin. The hadith itself then, Abu Juhaym ibn al-Harith, and he was one of the great companions of the Prophet his name was Abdullah. In this particular hadith it mentions a threat or a severe warning for the person who walks in front of other people whilst they are praying so he says if a person who walks in front of somebody else who is praying knew what the sin for that was upon him he would rather or it would better for him to stand there and wait for 40. And in narrations it explains in other narrations that it's 40 years. It would be better for him to stand waiting for 40 years. Rather than cut that prayer. Or cut the person who is praying. And walk right in front of him to get past. If the person knew how much sin it was. To walk past somebody directly in front of him. Who is praying. Then the person if he knew that. Would rather wait 40 years. Than to go past the person who is praying. The years, it comes from the narration of Bazaar, where it says, Arbaina Kharif Khalif, in the Arabic language means autumn. It's one of the seasons, and that's uh, uh, something used in Arabic linguistics, that they use the name of one of the seasons to indicate the year. So Arba'ina means 40 years. An individual who knew how much sin it was to walk past somebody who's praying, if he knew how much sin it was, he would stop and wait for 40 years rather than cut across that person. Um, al al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah mentions that the actual wording of the hadith, which is mentioned by Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, this particular wording specifically isn't in Al-Bukhariya Muslim, but there is another wording almost identical to it. There is another wording If a person who walks past somebody who is praying knew how much sin there was, he would wait for forty, so it's almost identical and has the same meaning. Uh, this particular narration, like we says, all it says is that the person would rather stand for forty, and it doesn't explain what the forty means. does it mean forty days or forty uh, months or forty years? But like we said in the narration of Al Bazzar, it mentions أربعين Kharifa, which indicates forty years. فالحديث فيه أن وقوفه أربعين سنة مع ما فيه من المشقة والتعب خير له من أن يمر بين يديه لما في ذلك من الإثم العظيم. So the Sheikh says, if an individual knew how much sin it was, it would be better for him to stand waiting for forty years, and imagine how much difficulty that would be. If that actually occurred, and it's not even something possible for people to do, but if it was able to be done and somebody to stand there for 40 years, the difficulty of that. But despite all of that difficulty and that level of example being given, if you were to stand waiting for 40 years, wait there for 40 years to get past, it would still be better for you than to actually cut the person up and go across him. That's the level of the sin upon a person who cuts across somebody who is praying. That's the first hadith regarding the sutra That if a person is praying Then you should not walk directly past that person in front of him You should go beyond the sutra that he has And if he doesn't have a sutra as we'll come to as well Then you should leave at least as the scholars they say Three arms lengths Three arms lengths as Sheikh Bin Baz used to mention I.e. the amount of space that would typically take for him to prostrate in where he would typically end up prostrating up to, then walk beyond that if he hasn't got a sutra. But not to walk directly in front of somebody, as many people they do, and they don't realize, and they walk in front of the people, and they don't understand this is a sin. If somebody is praying, then do not cut across them directly in front of them. The next hadith, عَنْ aisha رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا قَالت سُئِلَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ ghazwati tabuk, سَلَمْ فِي غَزْوَةِ تَبُوكِ عَنْ سُتْرَةِ الْمُسَلِّ فَقَالْ مِتْلُ مُؤْخِرَةِ الْرَحِلِ أَخْرَجَهُ مُسْلِمْ um, In this hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha says that the Prophet ﷺ was asked in the battle of Tabuk regarding the sutra of the person praying, i.e. the size of it. What should be the size of this sutra that you put in front of you whilst praying. And so the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that it should be uh, مُؤْخِرَةِ الرَّحِلِ We'll come to explain what that means now. وَعَنْ صَبْرَ إِبْنِ مَعْبَدْ الْجُهَنِي رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ قَالَ رَسُولَهُ سَلَّمَ لِيَسْتَتِرْ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِ وَلَوْ بِسَهْمُ That a person should cover himself in the prayer even if it's an arrow. Like a bone and arrow, even if you stick the arrow down and pray towards that, then that at least a person should cover himself when praying, even if it's an arrow. So these two ahadith, they are speaking about the size and other uh, issues linked to the sutra. Firstly, the size. The size, the Prophet ﷺ said, that it should be like مُأْخِرَةِ rahil there's different versions of how to pronounce that in one narration, al-rahil, and in one narration, al-rahil, Meaning, uh, when people ride on camels or even horses, you have the saddle. The saddle that you put on top of the camel. You don't sit directly on the camel. You have the saddle. What they put on the horse and they put on the camel. The back of that saddle, I think it's called saddle, huh? At the back of the saddle, they have the Arch shaping upwards Where you would sit back on And then the rest of the saddle goes Across the back of the horse or the camel And you sit on that At the back there's the arch that comes up slightly To cover your back And to be a guard for your back On the saddle A saddle isn't typically flat Comes at the back into an arch That arch that comes to the back That's the example the Prophet gave The size of the sutra should be And that typically as the scholars they say Is two thirds of an arm's length Two thirds of an arm's length is what they typically explain as the side, as the uh, end of the saddle. Two thirds of the arm's length. So two thirds of the arm's length, we can generally recognise how tall how tall the sutra should be. That's the size mentioned in regards to the height of the sutra. Um, So the Shaykh says, So if a person has something in front of him, an object, that is two-thirds of an arm's length in size, then that is sufficient as a sutra, and he is now covering himself in the prayer. If people walk beyond that, then there is no issue whatsoever. In the second hadith, it's mentioned, وَ that you should cover yourself in the prayer even if it's with an arrow that you stick down in front of you. Fa Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam hadith al Sutra wa sutra. In the first hadith then, the Prophet explained the width and the height of the sutra are generally what it should be. Generally the size of the back of the saddle. So it would be two thirds of an arm's length tall, you know, roughly the size of a saddle, how big it would be, wide. How wide it would be. That's the general size of a sutra. وَبَيِّنَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ But in this hadith now, it also explains how thick or thin, how dense it can be. فَإِنَّ نَفِسَ إِلَى الْجِدَارِ There are some narrations that the Prophet ﷺ would pray towards walls. They are obviously thick and dense. There are some narrations where the Prophet ﷺ prayed towards walls. In other narrations where he prayed towards the actual riding animal, as the sutra. In some narrations he prayed towards a stick. Uh, in some narrations the spear. All of these are mentioned regarding the sutra that the Prophet ﷺ would take. As thick as a wall, right down to something as thin as a spear or a stick. All of these are mentioned. مِمَّا so the Shaykh says the point of all of these narrations being that a person must have something in front of him to cover him in praying. Whether that is something really tall or something short, as long as, as we mentioned, it is roughly at least the size of two thirds of an arm's length, that small, it could be something taller, higher in terms of the width and the size of it, the density of it, the thickness of it, then again, it's differed. There were some narrations that the Prophet prayed towards a wall and some towards a stick. The point being, it can be anything. It could be thick, it could be thin. It could be something as thin as a stick, or the leg of a table, the leg of a chair, sufficient as a sutra. Or it could be an actual thick wall, a meter thick in density and size. It's irrelevant. As long as you have something in front of you, that is at least the two thirds of an arm's length, even if it was as thin as a leg of a table or a chair or a stick, then that is sufficient as a sutra in front of the person. The Shaykh says the important thing is that he has something in front of him which is upright. Uh, for example, a pillar or a wall or even a rock. He's outside somewhere and there's a large rock then he prays towards that rock. And that can be the sutra, or a tree, or a a riding animal, or a stick, or a spear, or anything of this nature. That as long as he has something in front of him, that he can pray towards, then that is sufficient as a sutra. It's not a condition that it has to be uh, a certain thickness. It's not a condition for it to be a certain thickness. All that's mentioned is regarding the size that two-thirds of an arm's length and the density of it, the thickness of it, even as thin as a stick, is sufficient. So the leg of a table or the leg of a chair is sufficient. Uh, after that, the hadith of Abu Dharr al-Ghifari radiyallahu anhu qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, يَقْطَعُ al الْمَرْءِ الْمُسْلِمِ إِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ مِثْلُ مُؤْخِرَةُ الرَّحِلِ المرأة والحمار والكلب الأسود الحديث وفيه الكلب الأسود شيطان أخرجه مسلم وله عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه نحو دون نحوه دون الكلب ولأبي داود والنساء يعني ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما نحوه دون آخرة وقيد المرأة بالحائض These narrations now are talking about an individual who doesn't have a sutra, he prays without a sutra. Or even if he prays with a sutra, the the narration mentions without a sutra. But the point being, what happens if somebody does walk past that person praying? Does the prayer become nullified, he has to start again? Or what's the ruling regarding that? So here the hadith says that there are three things if they were to walk past or go past a person praying, they break that person's prayer. And they are mentioned as the woman and the donkey and a black dog. A woman and a donkey and a black dog. If either the woman walked past a person praying, walked past a man praying, then that hadith here indicates the prayer is broken. Or if a donkey walked past, Or if a black dog walked past. In this narration, it just says dog. Oh, it says black dog. But then in the hadith of Muslim, then the companions, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, why the black dog and why not the other colored dogs? The blonde, yellowy kind of Alsatian, those types of dogs that you have. Why not these other colors of dogs? So then the Prophet ﷺ explained, because Al-Kalbul Aswad, Shaytan. Because the black dog is the Shaytan. Uh... There is one narration where it says, Oh, we'll come to that. So now these three are mentioned in this hadith that if they walked past a man praying, then that man's prayer is broken. However, the Shaykh mentions here So these are hadith, they explain what cuts the prayer of a person, what breaks the prayer of a person if these items go past him. And that is the woman, the donkey, or the black dog. So, if one of these three things went past a person praying inside of his sutra, if it's beyond his sutra, no problem. But inside of his sutra, or if he hasn't got a sutra and they go right next to him within his prostration distance, then they break the prayer. That's what's indicated in the hadith. However, the scholars have differed over the understanding of this narration. What does it mean that the woman, if she walks past a man praying, or a donkey walks past a man praying, or uh, the black dog walks past a man praying, that it breaks the prayer as the hadith says? What's the meaning of that? The scholars, they differed. The first opinion is the opinion of a large group of scholars. The opinion of a large group of scholars, the Jumhur, in fact, as Sheikh says, that nothing cuts the prayer of a person. That nothing actually breaks the prayer of a person. So then, what does this hadith mean then? How do they explain what the hadith means if they say, actually, nothing cuts your prayer, breaks your prayer? Even if a woman walks past or a black dog or a donkey, your prayer is still legitimate and you continue. They said the meaning of this narration is not that your prayer breaks and it's finished and it's nullified and you have to start again, but that it means your prayer is deficient. There's a deficiency in your prayer. It's not as complete as it would have been otherwise. A deficiency has come into your prayer now because this donkey walked past or the black dog walked past or the woman walked past. A deficiency has come into your prayer now, and that prayer is considered as deficient, although acceptable. Acceptable, but deficient. That's what some of the scholars, they said, the prayer is acceptable, but the level of reward, etc., it's now deficient. And that's what they say the hadith means, that the prayer is cut by those three items, by those three, i.e. that the prayer is made deficient if one of those three walks past the person. The reason why they say that, or the proof that they use, they say there are narrations where these events, they occurred during the lifetime of the Prophet Wasallam. However, he did not command anyone to repeat their prayer. If one of these items walked past anyone, they were not commanded by the Prophet Wasallam to repeat the prayer. If the meaning of the hadith was that the prayer is nullified, then surely they would have been commanded to repeat the prayer now. But they weren't commanded to repeat the prayer. So some of the scholars use these types of narrations to say, therefore, the hadith must mean that the prayer is deficient but not nullified. The second opinion though, is that these three, if one of them was to walk past a person praying, then it breaks the prayer, nullifies the prayer, and you have to start again. That the prayer is broken, finished, nullified, you have to start again. And that is the opinion of, uh, one of the opinions of imam Ahmad and also al Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, and his student Ibn Al-Qayyim, Rahimahumullah, Ibn Hazm, and other scholars uh, chose this opinion That the hadith upon its clear meaning, upon its apparent meaning, is that if one of those walks past, then the prayer is broken. We should highlight however, that with regards to the dog, as we mentioned, it is only the black dog. Meaning a dog that is purely black. There is no other color on that dog. If it was a mixture of black and some other color on it, it doesn't come into this hadith. The scholars, they mention, as Shaykh Fauzan mentions here, that it must be a pure black dog. أَلَّذِي يَكُونُ سَوَادُهُ خَالِصًا وَلَيْسَ فِيهِ لَوْنٌ غَيْرُ السَّوَادُ Dog that is pure black and there is no other color in it. That's the meaning of this hadith regarding the black dog that walks past the person. Not a dog that has other colors within it. The reason being like in the narration of Sahih Muslim, when the companions asked the Prophet ﷺ, why is the black dog and not the other colors of the dogs? Then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi explained because the black dog is the shaitan. And that is because the shaitan, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, allowed the shayateen to be able to take different forms and appearances. They are able to take different forms and different appearances. Uh, they are able to look like humans. They are able to look like animals. They are able to look like predatory animals. They are able to take these different appearances and forms. And so one of the appearances that they take. The shayateen is the appearance of a pure black dog uh, And so that's why the hadith re- uh, mentions the black dog As being something that cuts the prayer Regards the donkey Then the scholars they say There is the ayah in the Quran إِنَّ hamir," That indeed the, the uh, voice of the donkey is A voice that is not pleasant so the donkey, it is something that the shayateen may gather around also. Not that the donkey is a shaytan like the black dog, but it's something that maybe the shayateen, they may gather around due to some of the dispraiseworthy characteristics that are known about donkeys. So perhaps the shaykh says, Allah alam, that's the reason why donkeys are included, that if they walk past a person, the prayer is broken. As for the woman, then the reason why the woman is mentioned Breaking the prayer of a man, the hadith says specifically the man. Even though, scholars have said, actually the word man can include women also, and there are evidences for that. The hadith, upon the meaning that it means man, the reason why a woman would break the prayer of a man, the scholars say, is because of the fitna. If a woman walked past a man directly in front of him, whilst he's praying, then it may uh, take away the attention of the prayer. Take away the attention of the one who is praying, And he may become distracted by this woman that walks past him. And his thoughts may fall onto the woman who has walked past him. And so due to that fitna which is caused for a male that is praying, then when the woman walks past again, it's mentioned in the hadith that it cuts the prayer. However, there is a third opinion also. There is a third opinion. The first opinion was nothing cuts the prayer. And the hadith just means that it makes your prayer deficient. The second opinion was all of these three do cut the prayer. They break the prayer. And you have to start again. The third opinion, which is another uh, narration from Alimah imam is that only the black dog cuts the prayer, whereas the donkey and the woman do not cut the prayer. The black dog breaks the prayer of a person if it walks past. However, a woman or a donkey, if they were to walk past, they do not break the prayer. The reason why this opinion came about, the scholars they mentioned, because from the three items that are mentioned in the narration, the woman, the donkey, and the black dog, only one of those three have been mentioned with an explicit reasoning behind it. That is the black dog. Because in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ explicitly mentioned because that is the shaytan that takes the appearance of the black dog. Whereas with the woman and with the donkey, those reasons Shaykh Fawzan mentioned that maybe the woman due to the fitna which is caused, maybe the donkey due to some of the dispraiseworthy characteristics, and the shayateen may come around it. But they are explanations, they are not from the speech of the Prophet ﷺ as definitive reasonings. So, therefore, the scholars they said. The black dog has a definitive reasoning behind it. As for the woman and the donkey, there is no definitive reasoning behind it. Therefore, they made a difference between them. They said the black dog no doubt, then it cuts the prayer because the reasoning is there and blatant. The black dog is a shaitan. Whereas the other two, the reasoning isn't clear and explicit and definitive. Therefore, that makes the prayer deficient, but doesn't break the prayer. So that is one opinion also mentioned by some of the scholars. as sheik al-Fawzad, ta'ala from these three opinions, he says, Allahu a'lam, but he says, the second opinion appears to be the correct opinion. as al-Fawzad, he says, Allahu a'lam, but in his opinion, the second opinion is the correct opinion, which is that all of those three do break the prayer of a person if they were to walk past. But like we said, there is the other two opinions. The first opinion that they don't break the prayer at all, it just makes your prayer deficient. and that is a large group of scholars who did make that opinion. And the third opinion that the dog breaks the prayer, the black dog, but not the other two, is also an opinion. But Shaykh Fauzan says in his opinion, they break the prayer. وَقَدْ أَنَّ ابْنِ عَبَّاسِ مَرَّ عَلَىٰ أَتَانْ فِي مِنْ أَمَامِ السُّفُوفِ سَلَّمِ ولم ينكر عليه على ذلك أن سترة الإمام سترة لِلْمَأْمُومِينَ فابن عباس مر من أمام ولم يمر من أمام الرسول صلى uh, فلا دليل فيه على أن مرور الحمار لا يقطع لأن سترة, سترة إمامه. The Sheikh says there's a hadith where Ibn Abbas was on a donkey, الله عنه, and he walked past some people who were praying, and the Prophet didn't rebuke that act didn't refute that act, and didn't tell the people to repeat their prayer. So some people, they say, Shaykh Fazan says, some people say that's the proof that a donkey doesn't break your prayer then. Ibn Abbas was on a donkey and he walked past the people. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't reject that. They didn't tell them to repeat their prayer. And that was an incident that occurred in Mina. However, the explanation for that is that when Ibn Abbas on that occasion went past some of the people praying, on that occasion they were praying in jama'ah. They were praying in congregation. The imam had his sutra. Once the imam has a sutra in the congregation, then everybody else in the rows does not require to take a sutra. The sutra for everybody in the rows behind the imam is the imam's sutra. So once the imam has his sutra, as long as nobody walks past the imam, the remainder of the people in the rows behind the imam is not an issue. If somebody walked in between the rows, they need to get to a space or something, they walk in between the rows. That doesn't break the prayer of those people, it doesn't affect the prayer. He's not sinning with that hadith that we mentioned. Because in between the rows behind the imam is not an issue. Because their sutra is the sutra of the imam. As long as the sutra of the imam is not broken, then their sutra is intact. (coughs) Even if people are walking in between. So here Ibn Abbas didn't go past the imam. He went past those rows in between. So their sutra was the sutra of the imam. So the Sheikh says, that isn't a proof that a donkey doesn't break your prayer. But that is the opinion that the Sheikh took, hafidhahullah ta'ala, and the other two opinions are also mentioned. Next hadith, وَعَنَ أَبِي سَعِيدَ الْخُدْرِي رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ سَلَّمَ إِذَا صَلَّ أَحْدُكُمْ إِلَى شَيْءٍ يَسْطُرُهُ مِنَ النَّاسِ فَأ أن يجتاز بين يديه فليدفعه فإن فإن أبا فليقاتله فإنما هو شيطان. متفق عليه وفي رواية فإن معه القرين. إنذس حديث أبو سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, if somebody is praying and you have a sutra in front of you, you're praying and you have a sutra in front of you if somebody comes and tries to walk in between you and your sutra, somebody comes to try and pass through you, between you and your sutra, then you are permitted to stop that person physically, to take your hand and to physically stop the person, and to push the person if he refuses, and he insists on trying to get past you, between you and your sutra, then you are allowed to push the person away, in your prayer, you're allowed to push the person away. And the hadith says, فَإِنَّمَا هُوَ shaitan," Because that is a shaytan. Uh, so in this hadith then, Shaykh fawzan says, حَفَذَهُ اللَّهُ That if a person has a sutra in front of him, then somebody comes and tries to walk past that person in between him and his sutra, then you are to prevent that person. And if he insists and tries to get past anyway, then you're permitted to push that person with strength. Push that person away. Firstly, you stop him. If he continues to try and go through, then push him. Push that person so that he stops and he doesn't come through. Uh, the meaning of the hadith is that, even though the wording used is, fal yuqatilhu, Typically in Arabic and English, we might translate it as, fight him. It doesn't mean fight him, i.e. break the prey and start to have a grapple. It doesn't mean that at all. The Shaykh says, the meaning of it yuqatilhu. We might translate that into English as fight him. Then uh, the meaning of it isn't to go into some type of, uh, to grab uh, hold of him, etc. Those things. The meaning of it is the Shaykh says to push the person away. You stop him. If he's not stopping, then push the person away. That's the meaning of falyuqatil Um, Because the Prophet ﷺ says that is a shaytan. يعني من شياطين Shaytan, the word itself means somebody who's rebellious. Something that is rebellious, that's what the word Shaytan means in the Arabic language. So now this person is technically being rebellious. You are praying, you have your sutra in front of you. The person is still trying to cut across you. You're stopping him, he's still trying to cut across you. He is therefore being rebellious in that way. That's why this is known as Shaytan also. And so you're able to push that person away and stop him from going past you. Um... And the reason why the Prophet ﷺ named this person as a shaitan, then, the one who insists on trying to get past even though you try and stop him, and then you're allowed to push him, because you're trying to stop him from committing a sin. We've already mentioned in the hadith, it would be better to stop and wait for 40 years. You're trying to save him from committing the sin. But if he's insisting on pushing your hand away and getting through, then that is like a shaitan. then, you're insisting him to stop on the sin, he's insisting on committing the sin. So this is the reason why the shaykh says, the word shaitan has been used for the person, who makes an effort and forces his way to try and go through, somebody who's praying between him and his sutra. So you are able to stop that person, and even push that person aside, if that is required to try and stop him. So again, this hadith indicates the impermissibility of walking past somebody who is praying. And it indicates the obligation of the one praying to push and stop that person from going past him between him and his sutra. If, however, a person has a sutra in front of him and this person walks beyond the sutra, there is no issue. There is no problem then whatsoever the person is walking beyond the sutra if however wa lam lil sutra fa innahu here now the Shaykh says what if you're praying and you haven't got a sutra you're praying and you haven't put down a sutra you've come to the middle of the masjid and you started praying, and you haven't put down a sutra. In that instance, some of the scholars like Shaykh bin etc. said, still, within your length of where your prostration would be, that three arms lengths up to where you would prostrate, even if you haven't got a sutra at the end, stop the people. However, Shaykh Fauzan says, that you yourself have been negligent. Why didn't you put the sutra down in the first place then? You've been negligent, the Shaykh says, therefore you shouldn't then, Try and stop people, because you haven't put a sutra there in the first place. If somebody's not paying attention, they walk past, because they can't see any sutra, etc. Then the sheikh says, it's not for you to try and put your hand out and push them. You haven't put a sutra down in the first place. Whereas other scholars like Shaykh Baz, etc. mentioned, still in that situation, even if you've not got the sutra for whatever reason, within your level of prostration, that's your space to pray in, then you should still stop the people if they try and go past. Uh, and the hadith indicates that a person who insists on trying to get past somebody who's praying, then that person is a sinner. And the narration at the end says, uh, The meaning of that is shaitan also. So that is what's mentioned regarding a person trying to walk past and the permissibility of being able to stop them. The next hadith of Abu Hurairah. رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا صلى أحدكم فليجعلت القاء وجهه شيئا فإن لم يجد فلينصب فلينصب عصا فإن لم يكن فليخط ثم لا يضره من مر بين يديه أخرجه أحمد بن ماجه وصححه ابن حبان ولم يصب من زعم أنه مضطرب بل هو حسن this hadith now of Huraira that the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said If one of you prays, then put something in front of you. If one of you prays, then put something in front of you. If you don't find anything, then at the very least, put a stick in front of you. Like we mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ would do. If you don't find anything else, get some stick, some branch, some twig of the correct size, and place that in front of you as a a bare minimum. And even if you can't find anything, then the hadith mentions, draw a line up to where you would prostrate to draw a line. If you can't find anything to make your sutra with, then at the least draw some sort of line at the end. This is a hadith narrated by Ahmad ibn Majah, ibn Habban declared it as authentic. Uh, And Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar says, those who claim that the hadith is weak have erred. And in fact, it is correct. And that is what Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar mentions here. But many of the scholars and the other muhakkikin have mentioned and have declared this hadith to be weak. And many of the scholars do not see that it is befitting to draw a line if you don't find anything. Many of the scholars, they do say this hadith is weak. However, here al Haf ibn Hajar, mentions, his opinion is that the hadith is authentic, and that it is not weak. So in this hadith then, it mentions again clearly, that a person must put something down, or should put something down in front of him, to prevent people from walking past directly in front of him. Whether it's something big or small, a stick, a wall, whatever it is, to have something put down in front of you to pray to. The Sheikh says, even if you had a stick and you were unable to get it into the earth because the earth is dry, solid, then at the very least put the stick down in front of you. That's uh, what the Sheikh mentions also. And regarding the line as well. <coughs> Uh, And the scholars who take the opinion that the hadith is authentic. They say, some of them, the fuqaha, that when you draw the line, you draw it in the line of a crescent, a semicircle. Draw it in the line of a semicircle in front of you and that's where you pray within for the scholars that say that the hadith is authentic. Uh, The point of the hadith is clear again, that a person should take a sutra. Whatever that sutra is, whether it's something big, small, a stick, and the hadith even mentions that the minimum draw a line in accordance to the opinion that the hadith is authentic. The one exception that the scholars have mentioned to this scenario of having, line, uh, of having a, a sutra is in places of extreme crowding. In places of extreme crowding, then the scholars, they say, it is okay even if a person did not prevent the people from walking past him. We just mentioned the hadith. Have a sutra and prevent the people going past you between you and your sutra. However, the sheikh says like the Haramain, in Makkah, in Medina, in the two haram uh, masajid. Also in big mosques, the sheikh says, it might be a, a big central masjid. Thousands of people may come to the prayer, etc. In these types of big places, Musalli In those big places when it is busy on a Jumu'ah, etc. Eid prayer, etc. Then you don't, in those instances, push the people away uh, if they are trying to get past because that will be a difficulty upon the people. And the scholars they always mention that if something becomes too difficult, then actually it brings about ease. If something becomes too difficult, then actually it brings about ease. Amru it If the affair becomes difficult, it actually becomes easier. So now when it becomes so difficult to have a sutra and stop the people, like in the haram, in Mecca, in Medina, in times of busyness, it's difficult. With that difficulty, with that amount of people, it's so hard to keep people aside and pray your full prayer without having multiple attempts by people to walk past you. Then the scholars, they say, due to that reasoning and due to not causing the people difficulty, etc. Also, it's permissible and it's allowed uh, and it's not a condition for you to do that and to prevent the people Uh, in that instance. The Shaykh says also we should highlight that some students, they make an error. Some students, some people, they make an error when they are praying in al-Masjid al-Haram, and they are praying uh, and they attempt to push everyone aside. In those times, especially in the busy times, when people are there trying to do Umrah, etc., it's busy, it's Ramadan, in Hajj, then it's very difficult. You will have multiple, 10, 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 attempts by people to get past you in that one prayer. And the Shaykh says it's a mistake for people to try to implement this in that situation. In those situations, the wisdom is used and the clear understanding here given by the Shaykh is there is an ease and a facilitation given due to the circumstances, uh, the way they are in that crowding al uh, the final narration رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عنهم قَالَ قَالَ رسول اللَّهُ, الله وسلم, لَا يَقْطَعُ الصَّلَاةَ شَيْءٌ أَخْرَاجُهُ وَفِي سنده ضعف. in this hadith the prophet says nothing cuts the prayer استضعتم, but try to uh, prevent what you are able this hadith is weak this hadith is weak and we've already seen the authentic hadith which says That the black dog and the donkey and the woman, they cut the prayer. And then there was the explanation as to what that means. Is it deficiency in the prayer? Or does it actually cut the prayer? That was the authentic narration. So this hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri is weak where it says that nothing cuts the prayer. We already mentioned the authentic hadith that certain things do break the prayer whether it is deficiency in the prayer or nullifying the prayer, that was explained. So this first part of the hadith is weak. However, the second part that attempt to uh, stop or prevent anybody walking past and that's okay in terms of the fact that it is backed up by other narrations. The other narrations we've just seen Stop the person, and then push the person away if you need to. أَرَادَ يَمُرَّ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ فَلِيَدْفَعْهُ فَإِنَّمَا هُوَ شَيْطَانَ Then push that person away, because indeed that's a shaytan. So that section is correct, that if a person does try to walk past you, in front of your sutra, or meaning between you and your sutra, then you stop that person and prevent that person from going past. So to summarize all of this now then. Firstly, all of these hadith, they indicate the legislation of having a sutra when you pray. The legislation of having a sutra when you pray. The majority of the scholars, they say that it is a sunnah. It's not an obligation. وَالدَّلِيلُ عَلَى صَرْفِهِ عَنِ الْوُجُوبِ أَنَّهُ رُوْيَ أَنَّهُ صَلَّى بَعْضَ الْمَرَّاتِ فِي الْبَرْ مِنْ غَيْرِ And the reason why they say that it is a sunnah that you should take a sutra. For all of the reasons that we've mentioned, you should take a sutra. But not an obligation because they say there are some uh, narrations where the Prophet ﷺ prayed without a sutra out in the open, uh, in the open deserts, etc. Where he prayed on some occasions without a sutra. But the scholars, the majority of them say it is a sunnah and you should certainly attempt to take a sutra for all the reasons that we've mentioned. That you're able to concentrate and you're able to focus, people aren't going to be walking directly in front of you, etc. Then you should take that sutra uh, and on top of the fact that you will be saving other people from falling into sin by walking directly in front of you. If you have a sutra in front of you, you have some uh, a table or a chair or something, and you pray towards that, then you prevent the people from walking directly in front of you too. Uh, secondly also, it indicates the severe warning against the person who walks in front of somebody who is praying. That was mentioned that it would rather be better for him to wait for 40 years than to walk past somebody who is praying. Thirdly, uh, That it is impermissible to walk past a person between him and his sutra. However, if a person walked past somebody beyond his sutra, then there's no harm. Even if a person doesn't have a sutra, then as long as you leave the gap of where his prostration would end, uh, three arms lengths, as some of the scholars they say, then beyond that, if you walk past, then it's okay, there's no harm. You've left the gap, the sufficient space where his prayer is within, where his prostration is within, the three arms length as some scholars say, then if you walk beyond that, even if there's no sutra there, that's okay. It doesn't mean that if somebody's praying in the middle of the masjid, then everything directly in front of him to the door you can't walk past. Past the prostration area, that sufficient length, you can go and there's no harm. Now also we mentioned about the breaking of the prayer by the woman, the black dog and the donkey, and the difference of opinion, whether that means a deficiency or it means the complete nullification of the prayer. There are some narrations that say that we didn't mention. It was here also that it is the menstruating woman. If a menstruating woman, a woman upon her period, walks past a the person, then that breaks the prayer. However, that narration is not uh, authentic as some scholars say. Uh, it is not uh, proven as some scholars they say. So uh, the majority of the scholars who take the opinion, they say any woman, any grown woman. That excludes the young, young girls. A young girl who is not the age of puberty yet, if she was to walk past, that is outside of this ruling. The hadith mentions the woman. So the young girl wouldn't be included in that and young children are the same. A young child, a young boy, a young girl, if they run past, etc., then that doesn't affect your prayer. Uh, It doesn't affect your prayer, it doesn't break your prayer. Still, of course, to teach them and to bring them up upon the correct way, you should maybe stop them, to educate them that they're not supposed to walk past when you're praying, etc., Uh, Also we've understood how big the sutra should be. It's mentioned two thirds of an arm's length and the size of it in terms of depth and thickness, whatever. Even if it's as thin as a leg of a table or a chair. However, the scholars, they do say that if you pray towards a chair, for example, as your sutra, then the chair as it's known, you have the legs and in between underneath there's a gap. If you put the chair directly in front of you and pray towards the gap, then technically you're not praying towards a sutra. You're praying towards a gap between you and the person, there's nothing. There's a gap, there's nothing touching the ground going upwards. Yes, the back of the chair is in front of you, but below that there's nothing in the ground. And the sutra is always mentioned as going from the ground up. So that's why the scholars, they say, if you put a chair in front of you, then be towards the leg. Towards the leg, just slightly off from where the leg is. If it's a table, not in the middle of the table, but just slightly off where the leg is. And again also they say, don't be directly towards the leg either. If you're praying towards a pillar, don't be directly at the pillar. If you're praying towards a leg, not to be directly at the leg. And they say because the mushrikeen, they used to bow to their idols and their other items and their objects. So the Muslim should uh, stay away from that type of behavior. And it's mentioned from the Prophet ﷺ that he wouldn't pray directly towards the stick or whatever it was that was being used as a sutra will be slightly to the side, even though it would still be towards it, to cover him in the prayer, but slightly to the side of it. But not to the side of it, to the extent that it's no longer in front of you. You understand the point, it's in front of you, but not directly in your face in front of you. Slightly just off it, but it's there in front of you as your sutra. (coughs) Um, Also we mentioned already, if the imam has a sutra, then in congregation, the people behind their sutra is the imam sutra. So if somebody walks past you in the rows, that doesn't affect anything. Uh, what about taking somebody who's sitting down as a sutra? Somebody sat down in front of you, and you take them as a sutra. Somebody's lying down maybe, you take them as a sutra. Or somebody, you're praying, and somebody comes and sits next to you, and they stretch their legs out, and they happen to go towards your where you're about to prostrate, just just beyond that. Those types of things, as scholars say, that doesn't count as walking past a person. That's okay. And it's mentioned about the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, that the Prophet used to pray whilst Aisha radiallahu anha was lying down in front of him. So those things are not counted as walking past an individual, but walking past, physically going past, that's what's mentioned, uh, the impermissibility of it. So that's regarding the sutra. So an individual should be keen uh, to try to take a sutra in praying uh, and not to walk in front of people who are taking sutra, uh, who have the sutra. Uh, we'll quickly just do some of these questions from last week, just a couple of them, and then we'll uh, break for the prayer. There was this, qu- uh, these are all from last week then. Is it permissible to recite a dua from the Quran in sujood or ruku'r? There are some narrations that are mentioned about the sujood, the prostration, and the ruku'r, the bowing, that you do not recite Quran within them. You're not supposed to recite Quran. However, al ibn al-Uthaymin rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, there is a difference between reciting Qur'an and reciting dua. If you select an ayah from the Qur'an, which is a dua, Rabbana dunya hasana, etc. You pick some ayah from the Qur'an of this nature, which is a dua, and you recite that in your prostration for the sake of it being a dua. Not for the sake of it because it's recitation of the Qur'an. You don't intend to recite Qur'an, you're reading that for the purpose of the dua, then the Shaykh says that is permissible. You can recite du'as in the prostration that are, even if they are, ayat of the Qur'an. Because you don't intend recitation of the Qur'an by that. You intend the du'a behind that. So that is permissible, Shaykh Ibn al-Lathaymin, ta'ala, said. Can a male mahram lead the prayer with only women behind him? And if so, is there a minimum? Uh, the scholars have said this is permissible also. sheikh bin Baal said that it is permissible... For a man to lead the prayer in congregation and all of the congregation are women. It's possible, it's permissible for that to be done. A man is leading the prayer and everybody behind him is women. All of the congregation is women. The scholars, they mentioned some examples. Maybe an individual, for example, in Ramadan, tarawih. On one occasion, the male, for some reason, he prays at home. He prays the tarawih at home. And so the women of his household, they gather together and they pray behind him. So maybe he has 8 or 10 women behind him and he's the only man leading the prayer. It's permissible. And even if it was one woman, then it's okay. A man can pray with his wife. And that would be permissible also. So that is allowed and uh, Sheikh Bin Baz and other scholars have mentioned that that it's permissible to do so. Is it permissible to give non-verbal communication to a person who speaks to you while praying? Not the salam. The salam we mentioned last time, somebody gives you the salam, then you can respond with your sign, with your hand. But some other communication, somebody comes in and they want something else, they speak to you, they do something, then are you allowed to communicate non-verbally, nodding the head, or making some other signal with your finger or something? Uh, Is it permissible to give some very slight signal to an individual, not the salam? Some of the scholars like Shaykh bin Baz, they say, it is okay. If an individual came and they did something, they said something, you're in your prayer to give a very slight indication with uh, some movement or, or some slight movement very slightly, to give some indication, then it's okay, they say. But no doubt, again, as we've mentioned everything, you try to avoid that. Somebody's praying, don't make contact with them whilst they're praying anyway. Don't say anything to them whilst they're praying anyway. So there's no need for a person to be in that situation where they need to now give some sign or something whilst they are in the prayer. There was the question about women clapping and singing at weddings. Uh, I think uh, one of the brothers found uh, the clip from sheik al-Albani. That can be passed on regarding the clapping and the singing. Regarding the previous lesson, what is the ruling on the one who talks accidentally in prayer? We spoke about that hadith of Muawiyah ibn al-Hakam. That when he came and somebody said, Alhamdulillah, when they sneezed, then he replied, يَرْحَمُكَ But that was incorrect and he was not allowed to do in the prayer. That hadith in of itself is a proof that if somebody speaks accidentally in the prayer, they forgetfully say something. Accidentally they say something. Then that doesn't nullify the prayer. That hadith in of itself is a proof because Mu'awi ibn al-Hakam, he spoke, he said, يَرْحَمُكَ And that isn't something permissible to say to somebody who sneezed whilst you're in prayer. Yet the Prophet ﷺ didn't tell him to repeat the prayer. So some of the scholars like Sheikh Bin Baz, they use that hadith in of itself as an example to say that it is uh, not something that nullifies your prayer if you speak accidentally or forgetfully. Uh, the ayah is, رَبَّنَا in nasina" O Allah, do not hold us accountable if we forget or we make a mistake. Is a woman allowed to correct the recitation in the prayer? There's a congregation going on, then is the woman allowed to correct the recitation if the imam makes the error in the recitation? Again, the scholars like Shaykh Ubaid al-Jabri, Allah, mentioned that it is permissible. Uh, Particularly if there was all women praying together, then no doubt that would be permissible. Even if there was a male imam, and all of the congregation was female, then again in that situation, the shaykh said, if the imam makes an error, especially in the Fatiha, which is a pillar of the prayer, then it's permissible for the woman to correct that error. So the woman can also correct the error, particularly if it it was with a mahram, the man who is leading the prayer is one of her, uh, the maharim, then it's permissible for the woman also to correct that. So that's uh, some of the questions from last week then. We'll leave it at that. Uh, if a young child comes in front of a person praying is the prayer broken we just mentioned now if a young child comes in front it doesn't break the prayer a young child doesn't break the prayer Uh, sisters have told us now at the end that they can't hear and the volume is a bit low so Allah musta'an we'll have to get the recording now or something afterwards